Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with world traveler and public transit user, Dr. Lucy Jones. Thanks to all our listeners who stepped up to sponsor this podcast. You can too by joining as a sponsor of the nonprofit Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Please go to patreon.com, that's P A T R E O N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. And now let's get to it. Transportation is a real issue in a disaster, even when the infrastructure itself is not directly damaged. But often when we think of California earthquake damage, we think first of buildings that are damaged and then the collapse of freeway overpasses. Think about the iconic images from 1971 Silmar or 1989 Loma Prieta or 1994 in Northridge. And since as you always say, Lucy, we do a great job of preparing for the earthquake we just had, California has spent billions retrofitting bridges. Right, because bridges do have some special issues that make them problematic in earthquakes. Let's start with the basic physics of the earthquake to understand it. A wave comes off the fault, travels from it to the surface of the earth, and moves the surface of the earth around. A building or a bridge, any of our constructs, have a foundation that moves with the earth because it's hooked to it. But the structure has inertia, and so the top wants to stay where it is as the bottom gets moved out. That puts a wave up through that structure, pushing it to one side and then the other. The bottom moves over, the top starts to follow, and the bottom's now moving back in the other direction. These are strains. In a very tall bridge, the time between the movement of the base and the top finally following it can be substantial, leading to a really large strain wave in the structure. Studying what has happened in previous events, all those collapsed bridges you were just talking about, has led to a lot of improvements in design in the newest construction. And in California, Caltrans has retrofitted most of the bridges associated with its roads. But in other states, you can still have a pretty big issue with these older bridges. So it's like an inverted pendulum almost, the way that the ground is moving with these very tall columns. But does this apply to all bridges? It does. Smaller bridges are clearly safer, but there are some other problems. For one thing here in California, Caltrans has done all that retrofitting, but that doesn't apply to bridges that belong to cities or counties. They don't have nearly as much money for retrofitting, and therefore some of those bridges, even though they're shorter, still have significant problems. Also, bridges cross streams, either the bigger rivers like the San Gabriel River or Rio Hondo, but also just the small drainage channels. Those are there because they used to be small streams, and that means they have loose river channel deposits on which the bridges are getting built. That's just like the young hot rocks we discussed in our last episode <laughs> around why earthquake waves travel differently through different types of soils. Exactly. River channels are looser soils. They concentrate damage. And guess what? Bridges and rivers tend to go together. So in terms of transportation, our streets and highways are primarily impacted at bridges from an earthquake. But what else happens on our roads? Well, the other really significant hazard are landslides. You know, when we modeled the shakeout Southern San Andreas earthquake, we estimated that that earthquake would trigger 10,000 to 100,000 landslides. And that's gonna really disrupt transportation, especially in the more mountainous regions. But, you know, have you ever felt an earthquake in a car? 
The car itself is quite decoupled from the ground motion, so much so that it requires extremely strong shaking to even notice that the earthquake is happening. Like many things in earthquakes, the risk to your life in the moment of the event is pretty small, but the potential for societal disruption is much larger. Throughout California, policies are now being implemented to lessen the impacts of roads and highways on adjacent communities and our society in general, right? As we invest more and more in trains and subways and light rail. How does this type of transport get affected? The rail lines, the subway lines, et cetera, aside from the bridges that they might cross as we've just discussed. If a train is just standing still on a track, a seismic wave coming through is going to make it wobble back and forth on the track. It's a lot like the car. They're essentially decoupled from the ground. But a moving train is a whole different matter. The track is firmly attached to the ground and therefore moves with it. And when it moves side to side under a moving train, you now have the tracks not properly aligned and trains derail. And the faster they're moving, the more likely they are to derail. And a derailing train kills people. It was in fact, the Japanese railway operators of the bullet trains that created the first earthquake early warning system because they recognized how many lives were at stake if an earthquake hit a fast moving train. Just a few seconds to slow down the trains can greatly reduce the risk. Okay, so that's our moving trains, but what about subways? The idea of being trapped in an underground tunnel and it collapsing around you is the stuff of nightmares. But what's really happening underground during an earthquake? In fact, it's one of the safer places to be. I know this seems really odd, but if we go back to the physics fundamental of an earthquake, that wave traveling off the fault comes up to the surface of the earth, reflects against the surface and heads back down again. Well, that process of reflection means you actually have twice as much motion on the surface of the earth than you do inside the earth. So in a tunnel, you are actually receiving only one half the amount of shaking. Japan has a massive subway system and they have three times as many earthquakes as California and they've never seen the complete collapse of a tunnel. There's been some damage at the openings of tunnels, but again, that's when you're on the surface of the earth. So think of the tunnel outside of LAX where the runways pass over Sepulveda Boulevard. That's actually a roadway below grade with a top on it. So it is at the surface of the earth. But now the sides of that are in fact the earth itself. And that gives you structure to help hold your systems together. Speaking of LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, what about airplanes? What about our air travel system during and after an earthquake? Well, I think it's obvious that an airplane in the air doesn't even know there's an earthquake, right? There's no impact on them. On the ground, it rolls around like a car, decoupled from the ground again. The biggest issue will be damage to the runways or control towers, and that's going to reduce the ability for airplanes to come in and disrupt our ability to bring supplies and, and relief to the region. So it's solely about looking at our recovery issues and how soon we'll be able to use our airplanes again. So what might be contrary to our feelings, being underground in a tunnel may be safer than being on the surface during an earthquake. The damage to our transportation system may not be as widespread as some other impacts, but it will likely substantially disrupt our ability to recover and restore economic activity. And as we've seen for many other impacts, 
the disruption to society and the economy is much greater than the immediate safety risk we face. And you know, because of the limited damage in tunnels, it might be that our subways are the first transportation system to come back. And the pandemic we've just been through actually provides a potential bright spot. We have learned to work in a way that significantly reduces the need for transportation. Some people need it, but not nearly as many. And that is going to help us get our economy moving again after the big one finally hits. As we wait for that earthquake to come, let's leave the conversation here for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.